0: Welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett. I'm here with the amazing Jenny Poulos, who's an unbelievable coach for us. And um, this is gonna be a special edition webinar slash podcast. Um, because we're just loving the education part of this. And one of the things that always comes up is like, hey, we need help with verbal skills and questions. And like, how do you do this? And uh, Jenny came up with this great idea. Like we've we've got to keep going with the uh, the topic that was ex- expressed, not express, I was thinking express. So <laughs> expressed uh, at a recent To The Top study club, which if you haven't been, you got to come. It's awesome. and. We went through an entire segment of how to ask better questions. So Jenny, thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Um, Excited to sort of continue on this vein of verbal skills, really looking at asking good questions and particularly asking questions in relation to case acceptance. Um, And we're diving a little bit deeper, not just talking about the questions that you ask, Um, but looking a little bit at your nonverbal cues, um, the way you show up in a room, um, kind of taking this to the next level, some things that you can do to really amp up your case presentation in the practice.
0: I love it. I love it. And we're just going to jump into it because that's how we roll. And, uh, a couple things as we, uh, go down this path, uh, you know, the big piece of this is that trust. If you guys are listening, your your whole thought process is how do I get patients to say yes to this? Like, how do I how do I at the end of the day, if I hear if you want to hear anything, if I hope you hear anything in this is that trust still drives the marketplace. A, a little hint. It will always drive the marketplace because People buy from people they trust and ultimately what you want to help patients do is create an environment where they trust you and they listen to you and you're going to see we're going to spin this in a different direction because I want to take the pressure off of you as a dentist because you're always thinking about like how do I say this, what photos, like I want the magic phrase and if you listen very carefully, this is going to be very relieving for you because you don't have to worry about the perfect thing to say. So tell us a little bit about trust in this whole process, Jenny.
1: Yeah, so... When patients sit in your chair, they're nervous oftentimes. It doesn't matter if it's the first time a patient has come in to see you or if they've you know they've been there 5, 10, 15 times. if they're experiencing an issue, if they're experiencing pain or if you're sharing with them something that's new, if they don't trust you, if they don't feel comfortable with you, they're gonna have a hard time hearing what you're saying, understanding what you're saying and engaging in their treatment, being an active partner in their treatment. So we're going to give you just a few key things that you can do to sort of build trust, rapport, know, is your patient open to listening and trusting you? um, That's going to help move you through from sort of acceptance out of fear and nervousness to acceptance out of trust and understanding.
0: Absolutely. And that means that the patients own the treatment plan Instead of you owning the treatment plan, which is a whole nother dynamic in this. But, uh, you know, the first thing I would say is when we take a look at this is that the key to this is the question is the answer. Now, I've heard this for years. I can't we have to credit the person who originally said this, but like really the question is the answer. And we, we get a chance to coach a lot of different dentists. Some of them, I you know are some of the very best, and they talk all the time. One is an Italian dentist from Tuckahoe, New York. You know who you are if you're listening. He's a brilliant, brilliant human being. He doesn't stop talking. He talks constantly. He talks in the shower, he talks in his sleep. But when he's in a room with a patient, it's magical because he isn't talking. He's asking questions, and the question is the answer. And so my friends, as you listen to this, I hope you understand that how well you communicate determines how far you go in dentistry. So don't put the pressure on you to figure out what to say, put the pressure on yourself to figure out what to ask. Yep. <laughs> so it's good stuff. And so the objectives here, you know, take us through these three.
1: Yeah, So uh, we're kind of looking at this in a couple of different ways. I'm going to have you ask yourself a couple of questions. Am I in rapport with my patient and why this is important? So we're kind of asking, is a patient open to listening to me? Have I created safety? Um, Does the patient feel safe and not threatened? And how does this affect your ability to communicate and thus your acceptance rates? And finally, kind of looking at, am I asking good questions? Am I asking the right kind of questions? You know, the success of the practice really relies upon your ability to have patients say yes to treatment. Yeah. Um, so we want to, you know, we want to know how we can get them to say yes, build trusting relationships and really belong beyond that. We want to create long-term committed patients that will refer to the practice so these things are going to all, um, all get you down that path to having patients that value you, that come back in, that refer patients just like them.
0: Yeah, and one other thing to consider when you're listening to what Jenny just said is you got to set the conditions up so that you can actually be in rapport, create the safety, and ask really good questions. And I'll be the first to say, like, if everything around you is in chaos, you don't have systems in place, like, this is going to be hard because you know it when you're present with the patient. You can feel it with the rapport thing. You know how critically important that is. And so you've got to create the environment that you can and give yourself to the patient emotionally, mentally, um, you know, from from all those aspects. And patients are constantly asking themselves, am I safe? So these are great objectives to consider when you're um, sitting down with each one of your patients. And let's face it, that's your favorite type of day anyways when you're really connecting with people and not worrying about what's going on around you. Now the coaching habit is a great book. I'm a big fan of books and my team has been making fun of me lately because read this book. Hey listen. People spent their whole lives writing a book. They, <laughs> they you know, I'm I'm listening to another one that there's so much research in it. It's a great thing to consider. When yep. it comes to how you learn, and the coaching habit has been a great one. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. So, tell us about this book, Jenny.
1: Yeah, just a foot. I mean, it's really footnote in here. Uh, always be growing. One of the values that we embrace wholeheartedly here at Act Dental. Uh, some of the things we're going to be talking about come from this book, The Coaching Habit. I would encourage everyone to read this book. Um, it really does change the way you lead your team, lead your patients, interact with those around you. Um, so pick it up, listen to it, read it. It's a, it's a great book and I, I just wanted to, to throw that in there.
0: Yeah, and it forever has returns. You're gonna read it once and it's gonna bring returns over and over and over again. And if, if you uh, go back and read it after you've listened to this webinar, you'll say, oh, I know where they came where that came from. So define rapport for us.
1: Yeah yep. so rapport this is straight out of the Merriam Webster dictionary it's a relationship characterized by agreement mutual understanding or empathy that makes communication possible or easy so i want f- to hone in really on rapport is about building relationships that get us to some level of mutual understanding that makes communication easier, right? We don't want to run right into our, right into our ops, sit down next to our patient and spend no time establishing relationship, building connection. Because if we do, we are not in rapport with our patients. We are not creating an environment in which they are open to communication, open to hearing and engaging, So I really want you to always be asking yourself before you begin telling a patient anything about the treatment that they need that you're proposing, I want you to think about, am I in rapport with this patient? Next slide, we'll kind of talk about some ways that you can recognize and or know if you are in rapport.
0: Absolutely. I love it. And, you know, another thing to consider when it comes to rapport, you guys, hey, People, given all things equal, People wanna do business with their friends, even when they're not equal. We still wanna do business with our friends, people that we trust. And that only comes from really authentic rapport. I can tell in a second when somebody's listening to me. And you know who you are if you're listening to this. Sometimes a patient tells you something really bad that just happened and happened to them last weekend. You go, How are you doing? And they go, Oh, it's terrible. Like, and you go, Oh, that's good. And your assistant is ready to put, you know, she's ready to walk out on you because you're not really listening to the patient. So again, like it all goes back to that. Can you, can you really create the authentic rapport to start?
1: Mm -hmm. So when you're asking yourself, am I in rapport with patients, some things that you can look at that you can read, you want to be, you want to be good at paying attention to and reading patients, body language, body language does not lie, right? Nonverbal cues um, are, 55% Fifty-five percent of communication is that right? Body language is thirty-eight. Only seven percent is what we say. So we want to pay attention to what is the patient's body language telling me? What is their eye contact telling me? And we want to be attentive to the tone and pace um, of our patient's language and how our tone and pace is in alignment with those um, with with that of our patients. This is going to help us build relationship it's going to help us get in rapport if we can pay attention to some of these things if you don't read cues in body language you can really inadvertently sort of scare and confuse patients right if someone comes in and they're very closed off and nervous and your energy levels are are too high and you're too excited you're you're gonna set them off a little bit right, right. Um, they're they're not going to feel comfortable they're not going to feel like you see them um so these are things that we need to be attentive to when we walk into a room
0: yeah totally and you know the first two are pretty pretty intuitive if you've been dealing with people for long enough like uh, body language and eye contact uh, and if you're raising teenagers, you're constantly coaching them on those, but the tone and pace thing is one that we skip over. And what you said is exactly right. We often respect people who are very calm and they communicate confident, confidently and clearly. Could you imagine if you were on a plane and it an experienced a guy comes on and goes, Whoa, that was crazy. Hey, sit down. Uh, we got, you know, everybody in, in authoritative positions or helping positions has been taught or train, be calm and, you know, a consistent tone that would express or lend itself to a lot of confidence and trust. So keep that in mind.
1: So when we're, when we're looking at body language, really what we're asking is, is a patient open to me or are they closed? Are they open to hearing what's going on or are they closed off? There's some really easy cues that you can look for with your patient, even just identifying a few of them, right? If a patient's arms are really crossed, they're sunken down. If they're hiding their thumbs in their hands, maybe they're rubbing their face. These are indicators to that the patient is not open. They are closed off to really hearing and engaging, So we need to take some actions to get these patients to open up. Um, There's some easy things that we can do. We can shake a hand and get people to actually physically open. Um, If you have models or pamphlets, some kind of patient education, you can hand something to a patient just by actually physically opening them up. We mentally release some of that stress and we open them up to hearing what we're saying. So what we're what we're looking for is arms uncrossed, resting at the sides, maybe raised eyebrows, relaxed jaw and mouth. You know, we're the, we're talking to the dental world. You guys know about the Duchenne smile. So if someone is smiling with their eyes, right, we get that really authentic smile. That's someone that's open to hearing us and engaging. So I want you to be aware of these, these closed tight nonverbal cues and, you know, spend time talking to the patient, handing them something until we get them to that actual open state.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying too, and try not to make this like a a reactionary response where they're closed, I got to do something. Make it, you know, a big thing that we've done around here is we've read Atomic Habits and we're a big fan, like make everything a system. Now, this isn't just in the chair with the patient, but a lot of the doctors that we coach in the ACT Dental Pro coaching program, when they're meeting a patient for the first time, it's a very relaxed environment. And some of them like to make sure that the patient has something to drink, whether it be a cup of water or something. And I noticed that when I watch them teach this in their offices people just often feel more relaxed and so I've been doing this in my home even since I heard about this 20 years ago And there's a reason why people on talk shows are given a cup sometimes you guys know this there's nothing in the cup but the cup relaxes them puts them in, into an open state so I'm not saying don't give them a cup with nothing in it that's not my point <laughs> but create a system where people feel really at home with you they are open and it's not a countermeasure that you're trying to look for when it comes to make sure that every motion is lending itself to an open and uh, honest conversation between you and the patient, not in just the chair, but in the consult area, one-on-one, wherever it may be. Yep. So it's good stuff. And then a key concept, and this comes up a lot is, um, let me go back here, is the tone and pace mirror and match. Now talk to us about this because this is something you have to be a very, I mean, you're a coach, so you coach people on this, but this does not come naturally to a lot of people. No, somewhere.
1: this is really sort of taking it to the next level. So you might listen to this webinar, watch this once and take one piece. Again, like this is, this is about doing what's authentic and what feels good, but matching tone and pace, mirroring and matching patience. Um, really, we feel safe when we can see a little bit of ourselves in someone, when we recognize, when we recognize something of ourselves, um, be it the way that we're speaking, the speed, the tone, or maybe even just body language that we're exhibiting, when we see that, we feel safe. So, tone and pace, mirroring and matching, couple things that I want you to do. Um, I want you to match or exceed a patient's energy. And let me give you a really good example that I just experienced in my practice with this. Um, one of the great doctors in our practice, uh, Kim, she was going in for surgery um, and the clinical team came out and said to her, Hey, um, your patient, Sally, she had to put her dog down to get today. Mm-hmm. So Kim, knowing that that was coming, kind of went in, sat down She brought her energy down a little bit. She brought her tone and her pace down, knowing that she was going to be needing to meet the patient's energy where it was, right? So she didn't skip in her jovial self and say, hey, Sally, so good to see you today. Thanks for coming in for surgery. I heard something about your dog. We're going to get this done. I mean, what would that have said to the patient? Right. She came in, she slowed down her energy. She matched the tone and pace that she knew was going to be coming from the patient to something a little bit more calming, soothing. So she really connected personally with this patient.
0: Yeah. This is, this is so great. Now, again, I'm a guy, so like, I don't want (laughs) to just completely stereotype this, but like, I am not often aware of intention and impact you know and so it's great to have somebody like jenny around me or so if you're a male dentist now females are really good at this i i really believe that like some of the ones that we meet i'm just like wow they're just so good at this and sometimes males aren't and that's a generalization please don't get mad at me but what (laughs) what it lends itself to is it's great to have people around you that can give you honest feedback because that's how you learn and you know jenny will do this with me but other members like you can't say that like, you you know, you want to be thinking a little bit more. And if it's, if you're open to being coached about those people around you that are observing you, you're only going to be get, become that much better, that much faster. So ask for some feedback, honest feedback and coaching, and you'll be surprised by what you get and listen to their feedback. You know, the other thing too, that's really important is the middle section here. So you got use similar language and repeat keywords. Now, (laughs) <laughs> I say this all the time. If you didn't know the word before dental school, don't use it now. That's so, a great rule, Kurt. Uh, oh you my know, gosh. Lingual, you know, <laughs> um, occlusal, get rid of all those words. If somebody says brown crooked front tooth, use the words brown crooked front tooth yep. because it implies two things. You totally understand what I'm talking about. Number two, you are listening to what I had to say.
1: The patient is telling you with the words that they use, how they want you to communicate with them. They are literally giving you a roadmap to the type of language to use. So listen and use it, right? right? No, don't one-up
0: them with competency words, like, and you know who you are. Now, again, we're having fun with you today, but I've watched people use the competency words to try to position themselves. No, it's much better to go, you know, go right into it with their language. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Absolutely true. So tone and pace is a big one. And again, get some good feedback on that if you can. Now, key concept here is, am I safe? Now, this is another one that's that was often a challenge for me to understand, but in a dental practice or even in the real world, people are constantly scanning about five times per second and you learn more about it in the book. So tell us about this. Yeah. I safe? So-
1: I mean this this goes back to uh, uh, the you know, early development of man, right? We're constantly scanning our surroundings. at an unconscious level, we are always looking around us to say, am i am I safe? Can I trust you? Right. And if we if we as human beings don't feel that we are in a safe environment, we're not going to be open. So really like what our brain is telling us, if you're watching here, is a saber toothed tiger about to jump out behind a rock and get me. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like at the base level what this is. So we need to recognize from, bi- like, from a biological standpoint, we need to get patients out of, out of their reptilian brain, that scared fight or fight place in their brain up to higher brain functioning where they can feel safe, where they can trust you.
0: Yeah, and I think as as the world changes, and I won't make a big commentary on this, I'm constantly doing that. So last night I went to, dinner with my wife and my son at California Peach Kitchen, which I love. I'm constantly scanning the room, like who's at the table next to us, all that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm Jason Bourne in the Bourne Identity. Why do I know that guy's six foot three, 220 pounds behind me? It's just one of those things where I'll tell you at the age of 52, I don't feel like super safe everywhere I go. I'm constantly scanning the environment and even more so when it comes to people that I trust that are going to be helping me. And if you're listening to this webinar too another thing is you're going to be talking about discretionary purchases where people have to reach into their pocket and actually use money sometimes. And a lot of times for what you're going to be discussing later. So that is very important to make sure that they're safe in that. Um, And I've dogs
1: say to me like, oh, the safety thing, like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, like, uh, uh, let's look at it another way. The brain is asking, are you with me or are you against me? are you in my corner or are you, or are you not? If at an unconscious level, the brain doesn't think you're with me, all decisions become black and white. We don't have reasoning. And if I assume you are against me, how likely am I to engage in and trust what you are recommending?
0: Right. Yeah. And keep in mind too, you know, most of you are pretty good at at this for the most part these patients are coming from environments sometimes work where they're asking that question i don't know if half these people are against me or with me so they're not just coming in with a real safe approach that's why we want to create this uh, as it's part of the environmental touches that you create for this great experience that you have in your practice. Okay. And so this is also a big one too the different regions of the brain. Tell us about these two per- particular regions and yeah. why are so important.
1: We're not we're not talking just soft science here, right? We're actually we're talking about brain functioning again the amygdala versus the prefrontal prefrontal cortex that fight or flight which we are all familiar with versus getting someone into Higher brain where they can participate, right? When we're in, when we're in this self-preservation scanning, not knowing, um, the amygdala hijacks our brain. It takes control of our responses. Um, patients become nervous, uneasy. The stress hormone co- cortisol is going to flood their system, and they have an ability to reason, think, and remember. Which mm-hmm. is a big one, right? We need them to remember what we're telling them so they can understand and become partners. Um, so we need to get patients out of that fight or flight into the prefrontal cortex, the section that's responsible for reasoning, thinking, planning, decision making. This is where we want our patients to be. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so, how so do reckon- we
0: do yeah. And a good way to do this, again, I have four. Uh, Women in my house, depending on the month, you know, because I've got two in college now and, you know, males, you learn how to use utilize this uh, concept when emotions get strong is that sometimes if we stay back in that, you know, emotional part of our brain, it can escalate and it can turn into potentially a dangerous situation. So a great way to practice this is just when people are getting emotional, and even myself, I practice this as much as like, okay, let's go to the thinking side of the brain. It's much more calming. You can sort it a little bit more. So get good, and this is why questions, because question. Yeah. Is this, is this where we're headed, Jenny? Sure, go,
1: because, next, go to the next slide. <laughs> what are you talking about?
0: This is where you can actually use this yep. to the biological advantage of really creating safety here is that moving, transitioning from one side of the brain to the other in uh, the neuroscience. Tell us, tell us about the neuroscience of this.
1: Yeah, so neuroscience tells us it would be wise to ask insightful questions instead of telling them what they need. Why? We want to engage the brain in thought. Right. When we ask questions, we get to hijack the brain, right? We get the we get the brain out of the amygdala hijack, and we hijack it in a good way. We take control of the situation. The brain cannot ignore a question, right? So
0: yeah, watch this. What's your favorite color? Uh, blue. Okay. <laughs>
1: right. See, she
0: couldn't say no. I'm not answering that.
1: Right. You so have we to can't. answer we questions. Can't. Right. We have to. our brain literally cannot answer a question. So so when we ask a question, we kind of can mask that fear, anxiety, uncertainty, and we pave the way for that safety and engaged thinking. Um, so so why is this? Jump to the next slide. Kurt. Yeah.
0: So the, the reason is, OK, so let me go back to what your point is. Please write this down. That's what I say a lot Please write because this down. it's really. The person that's asking the question is controlling the conversation. Now let me define the word control. We're not I'm not suggesting you manipulate people. Like you want to be able to control the conversation so that it's beneficial for each one of us. And when you're asking questions, you're guiding the conversation to a mutually beneficial situation for both you and the patient. So remember, when you're asking questions or whoever's asking questions they are controlling the conversation no different than a patient calling and going hey how about my insurance do you insurance insurance no the person at the front has got to start asking questions so that they can guide the patient in that whole process and it's really important now serotonin in the brain what
1: is that yeah so again this is not soft science like there there is that science backs this up so when we ask good questions, open-ended questions that force patients to think and engage. We force them to the frontal lobe. It forces the brain to think. And when we think, it releases serotonin. This gets us out of that fight or flight. It gets us into safety. Um, when there's a release of serotonin, right, it, it's, it improves our mood. It reduces fears. It reduces anxiety. It increases mental focus it increases our learning ability and it increases our clarity of thought. So we're not just masking something, we're actually inducing a chemical response that's changing the brain function.
0: Yeah. Now this is so important. Again, I love all of this because if you can get this and use this appropriately in your practice, it changes, it changes the way People experience you. And so think about it, even outside of dentistry, your favorite friends, some of you are gonna listen to this webinar and then tomorrow night, you're gonna have a glass of wine with one of your favorite friends, maybe in their kitchen or your kitchen and your favorite friends, you know what they do? They ask you great questions and they make you feel safe and you go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're in my life. And so this is absolutely true. Um, And, you know, it's a a great thing to, to practice and model in your own practice as far as how we, Do that, and it relates. Now, you got Mm -hmm. a video in here. Actually, let's go back here. Talk about the importance of knowing what the doctor is talking about.
1: Yeah. So this is um, from an article in the New York Times by Janie Brady. Um, So part of asking these questions, we talked about engaging the patient in thought, getting them to understanding out of fear and into curiosity. Um, So, so this say how long have, how often have you left a doctor's office wondering what you were told? the typical patient remembers less than half of what the doctor tries to explain. Wow. I want to go back, like, less than half. So typical averages, by average, that is the majority of people, right? The majority of people are remembering less than half of what you said. So you have to take take time to get them to slow down, listen and understand, get out of fear and into curiosity to engage or you have no chance of them remembering. Right. I mean, how many times have you had like walked in and sat down with a patient that was in the hygiene chair a week before and they have no idea what they're there for?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that
1: patient accepted out of understanding? No,
0: no, not at all. Not at all. And Jenny, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like I've met in 25 years, I've met thousands and thousands and thousands of dentists and team members. My favorite, hands down, have one thing that the others don't. It's called curiosity. Mm -hmm. They're curious about patients. They're curious about how they can learn. They're curious about you. They're They're just naturally equipped with this wonderful gift and they utilize it so well as curiosity. My least favorite team members And dentists, they're not curious about anything. They already have it all figured out. They're not curious about you. They're just trying to get through the day and tell you what you need. And so make sure you're on the other side of the fence. And if you don't know what to ask, just say, listen, they're not gonna remember half of this. I'm just gonna be curious. And at the end of the day, I want them to think well about this experience in my office. Now we got a video here, so. Uh,
1: Yeah, so what are your patients here if you don't create this curiosity? So if you, if you remember the old Snoopy teacher, right? Any adult in Charlie Brown and Snoopy, if you're just shouting at your patients, they're they hear wah 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 and then they leave and schedule. If they schedule, they cancel, yeah. right? Or they have no like they have no idea what they've accepted. So we're not going for wah wah wahs here. Right, we want to build
0: true understanding. Yeah, and, and, and on top of it, I don't care how good you are as far as gifted in communication or you're a master speaker, or whatever, there's a certain point where people are just gonna tune you off unless you're totally hitting the mark each time, which is really difficult. And so again, asking for feedback from maybe your chair site assistant or people that are around you, say, say to them, hey, you know, one of the things I should probably do is listen 80% of the time and talk 20% of the time. Give me a number on how that distribution worked out after this conversation. you will be shocked. Like your assistant might say, yeah, you were at 50-50 or you were mm-hmm. at 70-30. You talk 70% of the time, 30% of the time because if you can set up those proportions to work, you're going to find that patients are going to engage. They'll t- they're, they're dying to tell you what's really on their mind. They really are.
1: Kirk, so. what's the number one predictor of likability?
0: Ooh, you stumped me on this. I don't know. I wanna know. I'm it's curious.
1: It's being a good listener.
0: Is it really? It sure is. Wow. See, I didn't know that. You're welcome. Now there's a difference between hearing and listening. My wife tells me that all the time. Like you can listen, but you know, but and you can hear. But like I think you gotta really understand when you seek to understand through listening. Yep. And that only comes from asking good questions to get a good understanding but um, I did not know that. It's good to go. know. There yeah. you go. So so we cool.
1: want our patients to we want our patients to listen and learn, right? People don't learn when you tell them something. They learn they create these new neural pathways that we're talking about this higher brain functioning when they recall and reflect and engage in what happened. So for higher levels of case acceptance Patients need a higher level of understanding. Yeah. This only happens when you ask questions, which force the patient to answer, to regal, recall, to reflect, and you don't just dictate to them.
0: Yeah. So essentially, you're changing somebody else's brain patterns. When you set it up, you're asking good questions and you're actually listening. Yeah.
1: So what kind of questions?
0: Yeah, what kind of questions? So we've got open-ended questions for the dental practice to actively engage patients. You know, and open-ended questions, they elicit a longer response than yes or no, black or white, or fine, right?
1: Yep, so um, open-ended questions, questions that can't be answered with a yes or a no. Um, These trigger a mental reflex known as instinctive elaboration. This is the brain hijack that we want. When you pose a question to someone, Their their brain focuses solely on answering the question. If it's a closed question, we don't get that hijack to go on for long. If it's an open question, if we ask these right kind of open questions, um, patients have to ponder. They have to think. The brain becomes more engaged. It becomes curious. It begins to learn and understand
0: yeah again one of the things that i enjoy doing is getting out of the dental practice and going right into your home so with kids roses here's one how was your day fine no give me a rose and give me a thorn what was your best day best part of your day and the thorn part of your day and then you have a third question i think don't you like i have
1: a lot of questions oh um for for roses and thorns yeah What did you do to help someone today?
0: I love that because your kids have to respond to that and they have to tell you a little bit of a story and they're fully engaged when they're telling you a story. And so are you. So open-ended questions are powerful, not only in a practice, but in your home.
1: Yeah. And so we we always want to give you, you know, some easy actionable items. So kind of at the end here, we're just going to wrap up with with some good questions for you to, to fold in that you can ask what's on your mind is a, is a great one. It's, it's approachable and easy. It's a non-threatening question, right? It encourages patients to go to what's provoking anxiety, what, what their hopes, fears are, what's on, you know, what's in their thoughts, what's on your mind. Yeah.
0: Because you, inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. I mean, you really do want to know what's on their mind.
1: Yep. Right. So some variations again, Um, As a coach, I talk a lot about authenticity and showing up authentically as yourself in a room. So find the question that feels right for you. Have your team members find the question that feels right for you. So, you know, what matters most to you? What's keeping you up at night? What goals do you have? The point is we're asking questions to try to get to a patient's why, to get them thinking about what they value and what's important. I don't want to spend all my time trying to convince a patient what they value. Because if they tell me that something is valuable to them, they have built in the value on their own.
0: Yeah. And the hidden secret here is the why is the reason they do the dentistry, not the how or not because it's a logical decision. Sometimes that'll happen. But if you can really understand their why, they're going to find a way to do it.
1: This is my favorite question kind of at the end here. And if you only take one question away from this webinar today, I want you to take and what else, right? So people talk and the reality is the first answer that someone gives is never the complete answer. It's rarely the whole answer, right? So following up an open-ended question with another question, and what else? It forces you to listen and it makes you resist the urge to tell. Yeah. Right. And, and if it, I mean, really, if you are only going to practice one, I'm going to encourage you to practice this and what else question.
0: Yeah. One of the hottest topics in the world in communication is vulnerability based trust. And so while we all know, that's really, really important and it is really where the world lives um, in relationships. A lot of times, You know the receiver or even the giver aren't there to fully be transparent really share what's going on so if you can create a an internal habit of always asking what else what else number one it's pretty that's about as open as a question as you're going to get and it's going to open it up for other things that you weren't even thinking about and sometimes you'll be in a situation you're like that is too much information but the fact that they trusted you in a space to be able to do that this is a powerful one um, and you'll often be shocked by some of these questions, like what else? They'll be like, okay, how do I communicate with my spouse about that? And you're like, I wasn't expecting that one, but, uh, <laughs> you want to, you want to just give space to this, uh, yeah. in this whole thing. And that's, I think that's your point. And, uh, you know, I find that my team, Jenny and Bar- Barrett, ask this one all the time.
1: Yeah, it's and a great what question. Else? It's great. Right.
0: And then there's a silence in here.
1: Embrace the awkward silence. No, (laughs) (laughs) right.
0: well, and again, I, 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 I gotta be careful not to make this a male or female thing, but like dentists for the most part, hate spaces, they hate spaces in conversation, they hate spaces in teeth, they hate spaces in schedule, they hate spaces anywhere, you know, they hate spaces in chairs. So it's like the spaces are beautiful. If you can leave space, it's amazing to see what happens and be okay in that space,
1: right? Docs tell me all the time, gosh, the the one reason that I don't ask these questions or that I stop asking questions and I start telling is because I I don't like the silence come after that comes after. Um, But that silence is contemplation. Mm -hmm. That silence is the brain actually putting blood from the back to the front. That silence is thinking I want you to like reframe it. The silence is not an awkward thing that you need to fill. The silence is you winning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even when they're pointing, because patients will point, don't talk. Just let that space work. Let them fill that space with whatever they're trying to say to you mm-hmm. and use what else? What else? Tell me more. Yeah. So. so-
1: We come full circle, right? All of these things. If you can build rapport, safety, ask good open-ended questions, you're going to build trust. And if I trust you, I'm more likely to believe you. I am more likely to accept the treatment out of understanding and not fear that you have presented to me.
0: Awesome. Great job, Jenny. That's why she's a lead practice coach and an expert. So any last thoughts on this? As you look at coaching a lot of dentists that, you know, this is one of their struggles is how do I create more trust in my practice before we wrap up?
1: Yeah. Just, I mean, remember this is a practice that you need to constantly be working on little habits that you can build. I don't want you to go back right away to your practice and tell Tell your teammates that they need to do all of these things or try to fold all of these in, you know, build, you know, habit stacking. Kirk mentioned the Atomic Habits, you know, earlier um, during the podcast, another amazing book that we just shared with all of the docs at the To The Top Study Club. One thing at a time, practice, get mastery in that, then layer on, then layer on. And you will just constantly be improving this part of your practice and you will see your case acceptance numbers fly through the roof.
0: I completely agree. And that's the direction I was going to go is that your ability to communicate is going to determine how far you go in dentistry and don't think in terms of how well do I talk? I need to be a better talker. No, put your energy into being a better listener and a better question asker and think about how freeing that is. That's that's a whole lot less work than trying to come up with the perfect dissertation to impress patients all the time. And I promise you, you'll enjoy it, you'll learn more and you'll feel closer to the people you're trying to serve. So good stuff. Hey, and if you're still trying to struggle on how to keep some calmness in your practice and get everything organized, don't be be afraid to reach out to us at Act Dental where we know for a fact you can create a better practice and a better life. People are doing it all the time. And that's what we do. So hope you guys enjoyed today. Keep showing up at these webinars and podcasts, and you're going to see we've got a whole bunch of them lined up. And if you're really struggling in how to think better, join us at the To the Top Study Club. We're it'll blow you away. It's one of my favorite things ever where you're going to see some of the best thinkers in all of North America and how they think about their dental practice. So Jenny, thanks for being
1: on. Thanks Kirk, always fun.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, you guys enjoy your day and until we see you guys next time, keep listening to the Best Practice Show podcast.
1: Bye-bye.
0: There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show.